Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. Europod. Welcome to Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent brought to you by independent journalists on the ground. In today's episode, we'll take you behind the scenes of episode 19 of Eurotalks Back. Porto, please don't stop the music. Also, in this podcast, a focus on the European independent musical scene. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci, and I'm the executive producer of Eurotalks Back. So, today, as part of our traditional behind-the-scenes content, we have invited April Claire Welch. In last week's episode, April covered the story of STOP, a community of independent musicians in the Portuguese city of Porto. The episode cast a light on the precarious situation of independent musicians in Porto, and more specifically, in a specific community and hub called STOP. Throughout her reporting, April also touches upon the systemic deficiencies of public funding in the cultural sector in Portugal. April is based in Portugal, but was born in the UK. So this is me speaking to April Claire Welch about her work for Europe Talks Back and her career trajectory between Northern and Southwestern Europe. Hi April, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So it's great to talk to you as we do to all of our reporters in these behind the scenes episodes. And usually the first thing we always do is giving the chance to the reporters to talk a bit about themselves, who they are, what they do, where they're based, whatever they want to share with us. So please. Hi, well, I'm originally from London, which is where I was living until about five years ago when I decided to move to Lisbon, mainly because I wanted to change. Uh, the city sort of had quite a lot of qualities that I was looking for. And I definitely heard about the music scene here, that it was quite vibrant and there was a lot going on. And I felt like, yeah, it was just time for a change. And then luckily it was just before Brexit that I moved so I could get residency and stuff. But I don't regret moving here at all. And I've been here for five years covering stuff in Portugal, like cultural stuff. And were you covering the music industry also in the UK before? Is that really your beat, so to speak? Yes, yeah, so I trained as a journalist in 2009 and then I worked for a music magazine, working in print magazines and then online as a staff writer. And then I went freelance when I came here. Speaking of which, what you did in the previous episode of Your Talks Back is that you brought us this beautiful story about this place in Porto, which is the second biggest city in Portugal. And about this, really, it's the story of a building. But more than that, it's the story of a community of musicians and other people. And it goes under the name of Stop. And you have in this story, you really tell the beginnings, how it was born, and the story of Bruno, who is the president of an association which tries to defend the interests of this community, Stop, against 
policies coming mainly from public authorities today in Porto. People who will listen to this episode might already have listened to the previous episode. So this is a behind the scenes. And we'd really like to ask to our reporters what kind of details from their reporting they were struck about. So if there's anything specific from that story that, that you think has really had an impact on you. So I think sort of the most striking detail for me was the sheer size of the operation and the amount of people involved, like over 500. That's like quite a substantial amount of people that are impacted. Just how sort of slickly it's run, really, like as a grassroots space, like how tight everyone was together, how much they're working together, basically. And also this sort of breadth of, of music, like it's very open-minded But I think, yeah, mainly just the sheer size of it, really. It's quite striking. When did you encounter the first time stop? Was it just recently or earlier? It was this year. It was actually via social media. I was seeing on my Instagram stories a lot of people in my feed, like, posting about stop. And I, I was really intrigued to understand more about it. And I think I was kind of a bit confused about what it was at first, because obviously it's a shopping center. So it's kind of a bit unconventional in a way. And then I kind of got to understand what it was. And actually, I was contacted by one of the activists who asked if I would cover it because they were really looking to widen the international like sort of audience um, with what's going on. Because I don't think a lot of people outside of Portugal maybe were aware of it. And it's interesting how this story of Stop is intertwined not only with you know, public policies, but also with larger market dynamics, right? I mean, the issue of gentrification, And the change is really of the city to some extent, right? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of tension here at the moment, I would say, because Lisbon and Porto in particular are really changing quite rapidly due to gentrification. Rents have basically doubled in the past few years. Like my friends who are looking for apartments are kind of finding quite hard to find anything affordable. And there have been like nationwide housing protests um, and I think, yeah, the minimum wage and average salary in Portugal is relatively low compared to other European countries. I think I read that Portugal is among like the 13 member states with minimum wages below a thousand euros. But then conversely, to qualify for this new digital nomad visa, which I think came in October 2022, you have to earn at least four times the national minimum wage. So there's a lot of tension and rising costs that kind of make it harder for this kind of DIY culture to thrive. One thing we don't get necessarily in the story we have been post-producing is how the city around or, you know, the people who might not be part of STOP live the STOP experience. Did you have the chance to understand that a bit, you know, how other people from Porto who are not necessarily musicians look at this? Well, actually, I happened to talk to a taxi driver on my way to stop and knew where I was going, obviously. He asked me what I was doing there. And I said, oh, you know, I'm covering it. I'm telling the story. And he was like, oh, wow, that's amazing because it's such an important part of Porto. It would be really, really disappointing to lose it. His sister actually had a shoe shop there in the 90s. But to talk to someone who's obviously he has a kind of a nostalgic connection, but to talk to someone who's not involved in it, And he still really supports its existence was like, you know, really interesting to hear. Absolutely. And the final bit of the podcast, we try to give a sense of what's happening really these days and what the prospects are. But I, I guess things are continuously changing, evolving. So you point out that the people at STOP have received an eviction notice. 
What's the situation right now? What's going to happen in the next weeks and months, in your opinion? Well, at the moment, it looks like that eviction notice has actually ceased to have effect and that stock can stay open for an indefinite period. I think because the building owners um, served an injunction because they weren't notified of the abrupt evictions. So as far as I understand, it is staying open indefinitely at the moment. And there was also a hearing on Tuesday at the Parliamentary Committee on Culture to sort of put their case forward. So yes, it's still very much up in the air, but they're, they're there as, as far as I understand. Fantastic. Last question I have for you is kind of trying to broaden a bit the picture. You know, stop is one really important probably entity or structure community in Portugal. But can we just touch upon, you know, how this fits a broader picture of the situation of cultural workers in Portugal, maybe, or the economy, generally speaking? What are your thoughts about this? I would say there is definitely a lack of funding when it comes to culture and cultural workers um, in Portugal. From what I understand, it's about 12 million euros is budgeted for cultural workers and cultural projects. And that talking to a friend who applied, who's got quite a lot of experience of applying, he said that actually the process is quite fair. There's just not enough money at all. And it's really competitive and it's really, really hard to get funding so that's the sort of overall situation. But um, I would say not to be negative, there is also a lot of, there are a lot of new places that seem to be opening up in the past few years, lots of new venues. And there are also lots of these uh, non-profit associations that um, you pay like a small membership fee for the year and they can stay open. And, and that was one of the things that really appealed to me when I first moved here. I, I really loved all these places. You feel like you're really part of something and you can support it. So... I think a few of them have moved on, but as far as I understand, a lot of them still holding on. So <laughs> that's good. Listen, just to close the circle, I'm intrigued by asking you to compare a bit your experience in the UK and Portugal when it comes to covering this world. I know it's a really broad question, but I think it can be really interesting to know what in your opinion are, you know, what do you feel is different from the industry in Portugal and the UK? I think that... They're quite similar in the fact that culture is just not given enough value in a lot of societies and in the UK too. And just globally, you know, like we all consume culture like every day. And if you look at what happened in the pandemic, you know how much we were all reliant on it. And yet it's still really underfunded and just not valued. People think they can get it for free. But yes, I think... The difference is there, is, there aren't many differences. There were close-knit communities within the sort of underground music scenes. That's what sustains them and that's what keeps them, them together. I think it's actually similar in terms of in the UK, it's really, really expensive. Well, in London anyway, it's really expensive to run a venue. I was involved with one a few years ago and we just couldn't keep it running basically because the rents were just, you know, escalating. So... It's similar in that respect, but um, also I think that's just like a general like lack of um, government support in Portugal, which really kind of is a bit dis disparaging. Fantastic. Um, April, thank you so much for your insights into the music industry in Portugal. Thanks for having me. So after having talked to April and having learned more broadly about the case of STOP, we really wanted to get a grasp of what the current state of independent music across Europe is. Meaning, we were wondering if there are outstanding debates and grievances brought forward by the independent music sector towards institutions. 
And well, the answer is definitely yes. In fact, it turns out that Impala, which is spelled I-M-P-A-L-A, that is, the European Independent Music Companies Association, is a co-signatory of a letter of concern or protest addressed to nothing less than Charles Michel, President of the European Council, Pedro Sánchez, Prime Minister of Spain and President in Exercise of the Council of the EU, Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, Margaret Schinas, Vice President of the European Commission, and the National Ministers of Finance and National Ministers of Culture. So, what does the letter say? The letter falls nothing short of being a call of emergency in light of a foreseeable cut in the budget of Creative Europe Work Programme 2024. The document is signed by 70 networks and organizations from across the culture and creative sectors and industries, or in jargon CCSI. Impala is one of these. So, we have created an abridged version of this letter, and I hope you don't mind if I read you out what we have summed up. Dear Presidents, dear Prime Ministers, dear Ministers, we are deeply concerned by the proposed budget cuts of 40 million to the Creative Europe Work Programme 2024. CCSIs are in need of a continuous and reliable support to overcome the aftermath of COVID-19 as well as the ongoing cost of living crisis, which has been heightened by the economic consequences of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and skyrocketing energy prices. Now is not the time, however, to let the cultural sector down. The Creative Europe program makes up only 0.198%, so not even 0.2% of the overall multi-annual European budget but it has an enormous impact and expands the projects and programs that it funds. Creative Europe is the only EU program specifically dedicated to making Europe's culture thrive. So, a cut of 40 million in Creative Europe will have barely an impact on the EU's budget savings, but will significantly weaken the Creative Europe program and cause damage to the culture and creative sector industries. So, meanwhile, however, the European Parliament's Committee on Culture and Education, CULT, has voted to increase the Creative Europe budget 2024 by 43 million euro. And the signatories of the letter asked the EU institutional leadership to align with the vote of the European Parliament. So, as usual, in the context of this behind-the-scenes podcast, it's very difficult for us to give you a full account of the dynamics at play in a given sector. However, we invite you to check out Impala's website at www.impalamusic.org to better understand the work of this association, which counts nearly 6,000 members, including top independents and national associations of independent companies across Europe. Importantly, the members of this network reach far beyond the borders of the European Union. You'll find the letter of concern addressing EU institutions and national ministers of culture in full length in the news section of Impala's website. And with this, we have reached the end of this week's episode of Europe Talks Back. This show is part of the Sphera Network project and is available on Europod. Our sound design and mixing are by Jeremy Bocquet. My name is Alexander Damian Ricci and I'm the executive producer of Europe Talks Back. Stay tuned for next week's episode.